going to start out with the reading this morning. It's a little longer than, than readings than I normally do, but um, I feel it's appropriate today. And, and right after that, Stephen's going to uh, put a video up there for about two minutes um, that, that follows the reading. So um, I'll read. We're going to step back a couple days, back to Friday. Nicodemus came in the middle of the night. The centurion came in the middle of the day. The leper and the sinful woman appeared in the middle of crowds. Zacchaeus appeared in the middle of a tree. Matthew had a party for him. The educated, the powerful, the rejected, the sick, the lonely, the wealthy. Who would have ever assembled such a crew? All they had in common were their empty hope chests, long left vacant by charlatans and profiteers. Though they had nothing to offer, they asked for everything. A new birth, a second chance, a fresh start, a clean conscience. And without exception, their requests were honored. And now, one more beggar comes with a request. Only minutes from the death of them both, he stands before the king. He will ask for crumbs, and he too, like the others, will receive the whole loaf. Skulls Hill, windswept and stony, the thief, knocked and pale. Hinges squeak as the door of death closes on his life. His situation is pitiful. He's taken the last step down the spiral staircase of failure. One crime after another. One rejection after another. Lower and lower he descended until he reached the bottom. A crossbeam and three spikes. He can't hide who he is. His only clothing is the cloak of his disgrace. No fancy jargon, no impressive resume, no Sunday school awards. Just a naked history of failure. He sees Jesus. Earlier, he had mocked the man. When the crowd first chorused its criticism, he'd sung his part. But now he doesn't mock Jesus. He studies him. He begins to wonder who this man might be. How strange. He doesn't resist the nails. He almost invites them. He hears the jests and the insults and sees the man remain quiet. He sees the fresh blood on Jesus' cheek, the crown of thorns scraping Jesus' scalp, and he hears the hoarse whisper, Father, forgive them. Why do they want him dead? Slowly, the thief's curiosity offsets the pain in his body. He momentarily forgets the nails rubbing against the raw bones of his wrists and the cramps in his calves. He begins to feel a peculiar warmth in his heart, and he begins to care. He begins to care about this peaceful martyr. There's no anger in his eyes, only tears. He looks at the huddle of soldiers throwing dice in the dirt, gambling for a ragged robe. He sees the sign above Jesus' head. It's painted with sarcasm. King of the Jews. They mock him as a king. 
If he were crazy, they would ignore him. If he had no followers, they'd turn him away. If he were nothing to fear, they wouldn't kill him. You only kill a king if he has a kingdom. Could it be? His cracked lips open to speak. Then all of a sudden his thoughts are exploded by the accusations of the criminal on the other cross. He too has been, has been studying Jesus, but studying through the blurred lens of cynicism. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. It's an inexplicable dilemma how two people can hear the same words and see the same Savior and one see hope and the other see nothing but himself. It was all the first criminal could take. Perhaps the crook who hurled the barb expected the other crook to take the cue and hurl a few of his own. But he didn't. No second verse was sung. What the bitter-tongued criminal did hear were words of defense. Don't you fear God? Only minutes before, the same lips had cursed Jesus. Now they're defending him. Every head on the hill lists to look at, his, at this one who has spoke on the behalf of Christ. Every angel weeps, and every demon gapes. Who could have imagined this thief thinking of anyone but himself? He's always been the bully, the purse-snatching brat. Who could remember the last time he'd come to someone's aid? But as the last grains of sand trickle through his hourglass, he performs man's noblest act. He speaks on God's behalf. Where are those who, would expect, who, you, who we would expect to defend Jesus? A much more spiritual Peter has abandoned him. A much more educated Pilate has washed his hands of him. A much more loyal mob of countrymen has demanded his death. A much more faithful band of disciples has scattered. When it seems that everyone has turned away, a crook places himself between Jesus and the accusers and speaks on his behalf. Don't you even fear God when you are dying? We deserve to die for our evil deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. The soldiers look up. The priests cease chattering. Mary wipes her tears and raises her eyes. No one had even noticed the fellow, but now everyone looks at him. Perhaps even Jesus looked at him. Perhaps he turns to see the one who had spoken when all the others had remained silent. Perhaps he might focus his eyes on the one who offered this final gesture of love he'd received while alive. I wonder, did he smile as this sheep struggled into the fold? For that, in effect, is exactly what the criminal is doing. He is stumbling to safety just as the gate is closing. Lodged in the thief's statement are the two facts that anyone needs to recognize in order to come to Jesus. Look at the phrase again. Do you see them? We are getting what we deserve. This man has done nothing wrong. We are guilty and he is innocent. We are filthy and he is pure. We are wrong, and he is right. He is not on that cross for sins, his sins. 
He is there for ours. Once the crook understands this, his request seems only natural. As he looks into the eyes of his last hope, he made the same request any Christian has made. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. No stained glass homilies, no excuses, just a desperate plea for help. At this point, Jesus performs the greatest miracle of the cross. Greater than the earthquake, greater than the tearing of the temple curtain, greater than the darkness, greater than the resurrected saints appearing on the streets. He performs the miracle of forgiveness. A sin-soaked criminal is received by a blood-stained savior. Today, you will be with me in paradise. This is a solemn promise. Wow, only seconds before the thief was a beggar nervously squeezing his hat at the castle door, wondering if the king might spare a few crumbs. Suddenly, he's holding the whole pantry. Such is the definition of grace, taken from the book Six Hours, One Friday by Max Lucado. So that to go to the old uh, Fort Lauderdale question, if you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he. Think about the thief on the cross. And what an immense, I can't, I, I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were, you were, you were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend, You've never been in a Bible study. You never got baptized. You, never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and, yet, and yet, you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because like, I don't know. Well, you know, we... Excuse me, let me get my supervisor. Think I'll get the supervisor ranger. So, we have just a few questions for you. First of all, are you, are, you, are, you, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? <laughs> Guys, I've never heard of it in my life. And, and what about, let's just go to the doctrine of Scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually, in frustration, he says, on, on what basis are you here? And he said, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. <laughs> now, now, that's the, that is the only answer. That is the only answer. Because he said I could. Open your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Corinthians 15. 
No, that was, if you don't know, that was Alistair Begg preaching. He was preaching at a church in Houston. His church is in, in Cleveland, but um, powerful, powerful. Now we've, we've heard from Alistair Begg and we've heard from Max Lucado. And those fellows are much more gifted in the word than I am and, and gifted in their delivery and the, the way they're able to expound and to share. But in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. With, with Christmas and with Easter, every year, pastors, churches are, are looking for a new approach, a, a, a new way to bring it across, because it is the same old story, right? And, and we want to, well, sometimes we, we do a Christmas program from the, from the perspective of the animals that were at the manger, and sometimes from the shepherds or the angels, and, and, and same thing with with. Good Friday and Easter. We, we, sometimes we give it from the perspectives of, of the women that were there. And sometimes we give it from the perspective of, of the disciples or, or from Pilate and, and those that were in judge. And, and we try to be creative and come up with something new. But the one thing that as a pastor I'm charged with is to make known to you the gospel Verse 2, by which you are saved if you hold fast the word. Like I say, I'm, I'm not a, as good a storyteller as Max Lucado or Alistair Begg. I never will, will reach that status, I, I promise. But the one thing I, I can do and will do is to preach the gospel to you. And, and folks, for those that are here today that know Jesus Christ, I'm asking you during this time if you would be praying for those that are here that do not know Jesus Christ. That the Holy Spirit would reach out and grab a hold of them. And that they would understand that it's real. Just as that thief on the cross experienced. That it's real. Yeah, we come to church twice a year, Christmas and Easter. That's not going to cut it, folks. That's not going to cut it. So I'm going to preach the gospel to you. Turn with me, if you would, over to, to Matthew chapter 16. We should be going forward, but we're going to go backwards a little more before... Before Good Friday, that we saw from Max Lucado and from Alistair, um, the the one promise that we have, the one guarantee that we have and can know, without a shadow of a doubt, that if God says He's going to do it, He's going to do it, and what He said He would do, He did. We we can look at. 
It verses in Philippians 1.6, He who has begun a good work and you will continue it. He's not going to start working in you and then just leave you out to dry. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. And if we look back to the times that we studied in Joshua, look back into to, to Deuteronomy uh, 3.22, where he says, let me fight your fights for you. The Lord will fight your fights for you. And then in Joshua, when they came into the land, the spies went and, and hid out at Rahab's place one night. They were spying out Jericho, how to take the city. And, and, and Rahab told them, we, we shake in our boots because of your God. When we hear what your God can do and what he has done for you, we shake in our boots. It wasn't too much longer and the Jews were shaking in their boots when they disobeyed their God. And the, the same word is used in the Hebrew in the Old Testament to describe how much fear there was among the people that the Jews were coming to conquer because of their God. And yet when they sinned and didn't have the blessing of their God upon their, their own lives, they shook in fear and trembling in the same way. But he caused his fear, just like he said in Deuteronomy, he caused his fear to come upon the people. Because what he says he's going to do, he does and did and will do. The one thing he will never do is to leave us or to forsake us. But just to take a few minutes and, and look at what he said he would do, what was going to happen, Matthew 16, 21. This comes right after, and, and I didn't realize until I was studying looking this week to put the, put the dots together when you see the context and the whole flow of the scriptures. Just a few verses before in verse 13 is when Jesus said, Who do the people say that I am? Some say you're a prophet, some say you're Moses or Elijah. And then Jesus said to his disciples, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. In the next few verses, Jesus said to him, Peter, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. And as we've been studying in Acts, we've seen that, that Peter was the one that had the privilege of introducing the gospel to the Jews. He had the, introduce, the, the privilege of introducing the gospel to the Samaritans. And then he had the privilege of introducing the gospel to the Gentiles. We've seen that in our study in Acts. That's what Jesus meant in verse 19 when he said, I will give you the keys to the kingdom. And it's right on the heels of this, verse 21. From that time, Jesus Christ began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and that he would be killed and that he would be raised up on the third day. Just over a couple of pages, chapter 17, verses 22 to 23. He tells them again. And while they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were deeply grieved. Chapter 20. Verse 
verses 17 through 19. And as Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside by themselves, and on the way he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him, and on the third day he will be raised up. Chapter 26. The other, the other Gospels have the parallel teachings of this, but we're just going to stick with Matthew for the sake of ease and, and following it through. Matthew 26, verse 31 and 32. Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. That's exactly what happened. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And finally in Matthew chapter 28. Verses 1 through 9. Matthew 28. Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. Do you think he rolled that away because Jesus needed him to? Jesus was already gone, folks. He rolled the stone away so that the disciples and the ladies that came could look in and see that Jesus wasn't there. Verse 3, And his appearance was like lightning and his garment as white as snow, and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. And so quickly, go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. They departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy as they ran to report it to the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. He is not here, verse 6. He is not here, for he is risen just as he said. This is another thing that we've been talking about in Acts, is that, that Jesus fulfilled the temple, he fulfilled the law, and he fulfilled prophecy. And this right here, again, reminds us of that, that he did exactly what he said he would do. going to give you a little Romans road here Romans 6:23 and again this this is for those of you that don't know Jesus and the rest those of us that do can hold it as a promise and be grateful and thankful for it but Romans 23 for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God every single one of us 
There's none of us that are perfect. None of us that are without sin. None of us that don't need the Savior. Not one. Romans 5.8, But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And as we see here, he not only died for us, but he rose. This is, this is another one of my favorite soapbox items or lines that I like to use. But it's always true. Satan hates nothing more than to see the name of Jesus Christ exalted. Satan knows that he's defeated. He was defeated. On Friday, man, the demons and Satan, they were having a party. They thought they'd done it. They, they thought, woo, this is it. We won. Sunday came. And now, without a shadow of a doubt, Satan knows that his trajectory is downward. But he will do whatever he can to keep one more soul from coming into the kingdom. Because to them, that's the only, you know, the only little bit of victories that he can have. It's to keep somebody from coming to Jesus. Back in Genesis 3.15 is where we, we first learn of, of God's plan for salvation. Christ, there it says in Genesis 3.15, will bruise Satan's head. But Satan will do what he can to pull out any little victory in his eyes by keeping one of us from salvation in Jesus Christ. Every time that a person dies that doesn't know Jesus, you know, we, we, we know from the scripture that there's a party in heaven whenever someone comes to Jesus. Can you imagine the party that was there on Resurrection Sunday? But at the same time, I, I think there's a little bit of a party in hell when somebody dies without Jesus. That's not scriptural, that's just my thought, so don't quote that, okay? <laughs> Nothing happier for Satan than to see a person come so close to know the truth, but not to accept Jesus Christ. Not to make Jesus Christ the Lord of their life. Not to put him on the throne and take themselves down and say, Jesus, I humble myself, I fall unto you. I will be obedient to you. Father, may your Holy Spirit stir in this room. We pray that your Holy Spirit would open eyes Open hearts to those who have not given themselves to you. Father, we know that 
that you died and rose again on this earth over 2,000 years ago for us. And, and so today we commemorate that, we remember it, we celebrate it. But oh, what a celebration there'd be in heaven if even one person today comes to know Jesus as their Savior. God, don't let them stumble, don't let them wait. Even today, Lord Jesus, you could come. You could return and take us to be with you. And it's going to be too late. So I pray, Father, that you would stir. That you would make people miserable in their hearts that don't know you. Pray that you'd not let them sleep, Father, till they come to you. What's a little bit of sleep compared to eternity? Open eyes, Father. Draw them to you. We know that, that we, we can plant the seed, we can water it, but only Jesus can change hearts. Proverbs 21.1 The heart of the king is like channels of water. And you will do with it as you please, Father. And today, Father, we ask that you would convict of sin in our lives that know you and love you. And pray that you would draw lost sinners to you. And they stand before you. They may not have all the answers on justification by faith and in all the, the doctrines, Father. But that they might come and know that they have a right to be there because the man on the middle cross said they could. Father, don't let people leave here today without knowing you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me if you would. We're going to sing in closing.